0: There's a famous story in the life of Michelangelo, the Renaissance painter and sculptor, when he was asked by commissioned by the Pope at the time Julius, to come and paint the Sistine Chapel. Some of you have seen this famous, very famous painting in the Chapel in the Vatican. And the, 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 the famous story was that Michelangelo apparently did a lot of his work by himself, without um, apprentices, without, you know assistance. And because of it, it took a long time, and this went on for years. The painting of the Sistine Chapel and the story was that the Pope Julius, who was very invested in this project, among others, would come in, you know, just you know, whenever he wanted to, and he'd say, "Michelangelo, when will you make an end?" And his answer was, so so we're told, was always the same: "When I'm finished, right? When I'm finished." And in a sense, that's kind of what Jesus does here in this famous passage we've been looking at, Matthew 24 and 25, called the Olivet Discourse, you know, the, uh, the, the, the little apocalypse, when Jesus is talking about his second coming in the, in, the, in the end of the age. And they ask him a couple key questions. One is about the details. What's the end of the age gonna look like? But then a very specific question. What, when will you be coming? What's the day, what's the hour? When will you, it's a when question. And Jesus doesn't answer it until the end of the chapter 24 and into 25. And he basically says this, verse 36 of chapter 24. Uh, no man knows the day or the hour. The angel no man knows it, no angel knows it, even the son of man doesn't know it, only the father in heaven. And then what he says, really the bulk of this whole teaching is listen, it's not important when i come. That day is not important. What's important is how you live your life in the meantime. And that's really the bulk of these two chapters of which we're looking at parts in this study. You know, it's not about decoding prophecies. Most of this material is in three big parables. We're only going to look at one today and one in the series because they're very similar, but it's really about how you live your life in the meantime, right? How do you live your life in the meantime? So we're just going to look at this parable. If you have a copy of the Bible, Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, it's the parable of the 10 Virgins or bridesmaids in a message titled Living with the End in Mind. Matthew 25, 1 through 13 says these words At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in their jars with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and all fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves but while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Those words in that very last verse. Keep watch is the Bible way of saying or a Bible way of saying live ready which is where I get the title of this series Jesus is coming that's what this is all about the whole pair or the whole discourse is about the second coming of Jesus and he's coming and what he is prepared okay what he's prepared is using the metaphor of a wedding here uh, of a banquet but what he is prepared is beyond imagination. The, the writer of the New Testament, Paul says, I think in 1 Corinthians, no eye has seen, no ear is heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, any man or woman, the things that God has prepared for them that love him. It's beyond our imagination. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings Whatever you might be suffering, whatever I might be suffering, in his day and in ours, even what we're going through today, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. They're not even worth comparing to the glory that will one day be revealed in us. So my question to you, is to all of us, is if you really believe that, if I really believe that, that the glory that's coming, that will be revealed in my life, in your life, is not even compared, it's, it's, it's apples to oranges, I can't even compare what it will be like versus the sufferings that I have today, however acute they might be. It ought to change the way that you live your life and the way that I live my life. So that's what this is about. And there's two things I think this passage tells us, just two points in this message. The first one is this, you can't get ready at the last minute, okay? That's what this parable is talking about. Jesus' parables are about making some, just some fundamental points. You can't get ready at the last minute. Now, he's he's using the image of a wedding. That's not what he's talking about, right? This isn't about a wedding. It's not about bridesmaids or virgins. It's about the church, those who've gathered to anticipate his coming. And it's about people. But think about this for a minute. He's clearly differentiating between the wise and the foolish. Everybody here accepts the invitation, right? Everybody here gathers to um, prepare for his coming. You might call this the church, right? We've all accepted the invitation. We're all gathering in, in learning about and anticipating his coming, but we're not in this parable all going to the same place, okay? It's a very clear different, you know, distinction here. The wise and the foolish, this ends, remember? The door is shut, and those who are foolish say, Lord, let us in. He says, I don't even know who you are, okay? So, From the outside, if you were walking by this wedding party, this parable Jesus is teaching, these people, these virgins, these bridesmaids, they'd be indistinguishable to the the naked eye. They're they're having a good time. They're wearing the same clothes. They're they're obviously gathered in this parable to anticipate a wedding. They're friends of the bride, so to speak. Outside, it's indistinguishable. But inside, this is what Jesus is saying, wise and foolish. They could not be more different. They're as different as day day and night. Five of them are wise. Five of them are foolish. Now, what does it mean to be foolish? Okay, it's a word that you know. I don't know how seriously we take it. It's it's a word that we use in in lots of different ways. But in Jesus' day, the the these ideas of wise and foolish were 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 um, large concepts in the in the Bible that Jesus used. Jesus' Bible, the Old Testament. And if you just went through. Just the book of Proverbs alone, this is what it would say to you. Just a couple examples of what the Bible says about the foolish, how they are defined in the Old Testament. The foolish feed on folly, okay? In other words, they're, they're, they're not very serious people. They lack discernment, they exalt themselves, they're prideful. The foolish are quick to quarrel, they're hot headed, they take no pleasure in understanding, they hate knowledge. They do not fear God. They don't like advice or counsel. No, thank you. They do not make amends, it says, for sin. In other words, the foolish are painted in the scriptures as people who, who, are, not, who are not serious people. They don't take their relationship serious. They don't take their work serious. You might say they don't take their, themselves very seriously. They don't take their faith very seriously right? The the foolish, if we can say this is people in the church, and maybe some of us are people we know, you know, they're, they're people who have a Bible, maybe they have two, but they'd be hard-pressed to actually defend some of the things that they say they believe, you know? I, I have this um friend, he's a, a, lo- a long-time friend, and he's a character, extreme views in some ways, but we were we were watching this television program, and on this television program, there was it was about this about doctors and, and, and health and medicine. And and there's just four or five doctors, all experts, all um saying great things in, in, in relative to this topic. And he said to me casually, he goes, you know, that one guy points to this one guy who was talking who was clearly um, you know, out of shape, you know, he he was he was um you know was not a was not was obviously not the most healthy, physically healthy guy. And he goes, you know, I'd never go to a doctor that looks like that guy. And I remember thinking, well, that's strange. thing. I go, I said, why, what do you mean? And I kind of understood what he was saying in, in, a, in a funny manner or, or in, a, in a way. And I said, well, I kind of get what you're saying, but you don't go to the doctor typically for, um, you know, y- you go to a doctor because of his professional expertise. You go to him because of his knowledge, because of his wisdom, his understanding, his, because of his, you know, his understanding of the science of, of healing and medicine. That's why you go to a doctor who cares what he looks like. And he said, yeah, I get what you're saying. But he said, I go to a doctor to get healthy. And I'm, for me, I don't want to take advice from somebody who himself is not healthy. Now, that might be an odd way to you know, uh, in, when it concerns the practice of medicine, for you and me might not, might not feel that way, but it's not so odd when it comes to the practice of the Christian faith, right? It, and this is what Jesus is saying. At midnight, the cry comes out, the, the bridegroom is here. Now, obviously, you can see this is Jesus is stretching the metaphor, this is, a, he's talking about something else. He's not talking about a wedding, he's talking about the second coming. He's not talking about event, he's talking about the new world and the end of time. He's talking about this beautiful new world that he's coming to, to bring. He says, I'm not gonna tell you the day or the hour, but I want you to live ready. The fact that they're coming at midnight tells you that. No, no normal wedding would happen at midnight, would come to a head at midnight. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm coming, right? That's a reality. That I'm not gonna tell you the day or the hour, I'm coming are you living ready, right? Are you ready? Are you living ready? The the foolish were not, right? And they paid a high price for it. The wise, on the other hand, okay, they had a completely different view of the future. And I think that's what this, that's the only best I can think or scholars can think of the jar of oil, right? There's a lot of different Things that are people try to say what it means. Usually, parables don't need to be pressed to this, these fine details. Is it is it God's love? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it good works? What is it? But we don't know what it is. I don't know that we need to know exactly what it means. But what it says is they they were preparing for the journey. They were preparing for the future. They 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 didn't. They didn't live you know, uh, with last-minute preparations. They were preparing for the future event. That's what it says. And because they had a different view of the future, it radically changed the way that they lived their lives. They understood something that I think Jesus is saying here. Right. The second thing he's saying is, listen, meeting Jesus, which happens here in this passage, right? In uh, verse, uh, verse 10, and the virgins were ready. They they went into the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Living, meeting Jesus, I should say, meeting Jesus is the most important event in your life, the most important event in my life. And and keep in mind, again, he's not talking about a wedding. Even even when we talk about the great marriage supper of the Lamb, of which this is um, pointing to, in the end of the book of Revelation, chapters 19, 20, and 21. He's not talking about an event, it's not really a wedding, but he's using the idea of a wedding because it captures, it brings to mind of any person, right? Of all people, a wedding brings, brings us ideas of, of love. It brings ideas of joy. It captures our imaginations. He's saying, this is what's to come. But it's not just an event, it's not just a banquet that lasts for a Saturday. It's a whole new world. The Bible says, "And this whole new world is a world where there is no more suffering. There is no more pain. There is no more job loss. There is no more love loss. Listen, there is no more death." Revelation chapter 22, the very last chapter of the Bible, verse 3 says this: "There will be no more curse." There's no more curse. This is think of how massive of a concept that is. These wise bridesmaids, this could be you and me too, they could live with a kind of courage and and confidence in life because they understood in some way, not perfectly, that they were going to come to a world. The Messiah was going to birth the world, was going to come and 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 gather them together, gather you to me together, gather me together in a world, not just where we're immortal, but there is no more curse. I can hardly imagine. A world without a curse. We live in a world that it so um, permeates everything. Our our the ecology, the economy, our 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 personal relationships, our health, everything in this world has been tainted by what we call the curse of sin. We cannot even imagine it. But what it says is at the end of time, there will be no more curse. That's what's so amazing about this. It's not just about the future, however. It ought to influence the way that we live our lives today. And when that knowledge gets a hold of your heart, this is the whole point of this series and this message, to these wise virgins, so to speak. When it gets a hold of your heart, when it captures your imagination, it will change the way you live today. Let me say something quickly about the wise ones, okay? The wise ones, there's five foolish and five wise and some people would say, well, what does it mean to be a wise one? What does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to, to let's say, live with a full commitment to Christ, to live in light of his coming? Does that mean that I should, or you should, you know, the wise people, people like they go live on a mountaintop somewhere, right? And they stare up into heaven, and they kind of just bide their time. They, they remove themselves from the world. They're kind of, you know, a, a distance themselves from the from the world, and they're just up on a mountaintop somewhere waiting for Jesus to come. That's the we we, we people often think that's the case. It's where the, you know the old cliche: if you're people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. But that's not a Bible concept. People who are wise, people who have who have a, a deep appreciation of God's love, it's the exact opposite because they have such a confidence in the life to come. They have great courage and um, energy for the life that is. They are the people. I could be the people. You should be this kind of person if, you, if Christ is your Savior, where we can live with courage in the world. Listen, we can go towards a crisis even and make a difference because of the confidence that we have in God's love. There's a verse in Psalm 36 that says this, In your light we see light. It's a powerful concept. What is he saying? The writer's saying, listen, in, if I know Christ, that's why this is a beautiful metaphor of, you know, torches and oil and light. And what the wise have that the foolish don't is when Jesus comes, they still have to make a journey. If you understand um, oriental weddings, they have to make a journey from the bride's house, so to speak, to the bridegroom's place, the home that's been built. But they have light in Your light in God's light and his his light in our life, okay, that's the idea. You can see light. I can see light. And if I have my jar of oil, so to speak, I have the ability to do what others, some others can't. I can go into a dark world. I can navigate a dark world. I can navigate a complex world because God's light shines in my heart, so to speak, and allows me to go into a world. I'm not hiding on a mountaintop, and you shouldn't be either. I know, the, the New Testament, I think it's in 2 Timothy, the writer says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded, persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed my life to him against that day. Is that your story? Is that my story, right? You, you can't get ready at the last minute. That's the first thing this passage says to us. You have to live ready today. Second thing, meeting Jesus is or should be the most important event in your life. And lastly, some application, we're done. How can you live ready today? How can I live ready today? If this whole, not only this, this parable, but this, this whole teaching, Matthew 24 and 25, is not about decoding prophecies, okay? It's really about how you and I live our lives today in light Of all these prophecies, okay? How can you live ready today? How can I live ready today? Just four things quickly. Just gonna tick these off as applications for this message that I hope I can walk away with, you can walk away with. First one is face your uncertainty about God's love. Now you might say that's an odd thing to say or to suggest, but just listen to me for a second. I I would say this. This is for every person listening to, to me, including this pastor, because God's love is so counterintuitive to us. The heart of the gospel, the heart of the gospel is God's unmerited love and favor, right? It's in it's, it's, the reason behind every other reason that I might live a half-hearted life. I might live a life that's, that's, that's limited by fear and anxiety no matter who I am or what my background is or how much money I have or don't have, the reason I live my life that way or many live their life that way is because they have not fully appreciated the love of God. And I need to come to a greater place where I have to face my own uncertainty that God loves me. And the only way I can do that is become a greater student of the gospel. Romans 5.8, one of the great verses of the New Testament says this, but God demonstrated his love toward us. Paul's telling us how. In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Such, there's so much said in that passage. What he's saying is it's a very um, a summarized way to say, a very efficient way to say, while I, while I was not interested in God, not moving in his direction, not caring what he had to say, going my own way, thumbing my nose at the things of God, saying, no, thank you, While I was doing that, living a life of of self-destruction, perhaps, or self-defeating behaviors, whatever the case may be, in sin, while I was yet a sinner, Christ went on a rescue mission, Galatians chapter 1, to rescue me and to rescue you, right? The most important way you can live ready today, I can live ready, is to face day in and day out your uncertainties that you still have, that I still have, that we all have about God's. Love. Second thing, finish your business, okay? What do I mean by finish your business? There's three parables. I say we're only looking at one. They're all talking about living faithfully in difficult times, living ready. The second one, you can read it on your own, follows these verses, the famous parable of the talents. But Jesus is saying, in some ways, the same message. How do you live in the meantime? And he's saying, listen, the Christian life is really about God making an investment in you beyond your forgiveness of sin, beyond the forgiveness of sin. It says, we're all given bags of gold. Some two, some five, some 10. Doesn't matter how much, but God has given you some gold. That is, he's giving you something of value, gifts, things to invest. And your job and my job is to make a return on that investment in this life, whatever it might be, right? And the question is, what are you doing with what God has given you? Are you investing it or like the one example, the negative example in that parable, the guy who, because he's so he's so captured by fear, he thinks God's a hard man asking for more than we could ever deliver and he buries his gold in the ground and he spends the rest of his life living a safe and, and um, life, a careful life, not investing what God has given him. Listen, if that's you, how can you live ready? Go dig that up, right? Wherever you've taken what God has given you, you need to face those fears, face your uncertainties about God's love. Dig up that gift that God has given you while you have time and invest it. Finish your business. Third thing, repair your relationships. Okay? Repair your relationships. That's the whole message in and of itself. But think about these 10 bridesmaids. Usually when you go to a wedding, bridesmaids, they're all friends. Some of them are relatives. You know, they're all the friends of the bride. They're, they went to college together. Their sisters, their cousins, their best friends. That's what you think when you're walking by here. But as this story unfolds, not the case, right? You when the, when the when the when the bridegroom comes, and the cry goes out. All of a sudden, you see that these people they didn't know each other very well at all. When it came to the most important things in life, right? that they had these jars of oil, they had lived their life in light of the second coming, they were prepared. What was most important in the lives of these women, these other foolish friends, they didn't even know it. It turns out they didn't know these people at all, right? And not only was their relationship here with these women, these other friends, you might say superficial, not about important things, but it's true with God too. We have an opportunity to live ready, not only to repair relationships with other people, family and friends, okay? But don't forget how this ends. When it's all said and done, they these these foolish in this parable go and get some oil, they come back and knock on the door, say, hey, Lord, let us in, and says, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Not I don't like you, not you're, you're slow, not, you know, I wish you would have brought some... I don't even know who you are, okay? So we have an opportunity. How do you live ready? Repair your relationships. Open your heart. Get vulnerable. Move towards other people and have and, 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 and repair where it's broken. Offer forgiveness. And also realize that some of us may think we have a relationship with God that we don't, okay? goes back to the first point. You need to face your uncertainties about God. You you need to understand the gospel at a deeper level. And the last thing is, okay, face your uncertainties about God's love. Finish your business, repair your relationships, and last, say what you want to say, right? Say what you want to say. This is a great opportunity for all of us. Listen, I believe the, I believe this crisis that we're all in right now is as of you know. Uh, um, April twenty sixth, or I'm sorry, May the third. Forgot this is May the third already. That was last Sunday, May the third, 2020. I I think we're going to get through this crisis. I think we're turning a corner. I think we're going to make it through. Okay, but some of us, we we've we've experienced some loss. Some of us have lost people we know, and, and you know, in, in our extended networks. I mean, the the people have passed away because of this virus. Certainly, some of us have, have lost jobs, lost levels of income, lost levels of freedom, lost our you know, graduations, various and sundry things. We've all lost things, but we've gained a far greater opportunity if we have eyes to see it. And that is an opportunity as this crisis fades or finishes to live a life without regret, right? To live a life with, to say what it is that you need to say to other people and to God, to let them know that you love them, that God loves them, that there is hope, hope in this world and there's because of the hope in the world to come. So let me pray for us as we conclude uh, this uh, message, this, this time this morning, let's pray. God and Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning with my, um, my church family and, and friends. And Lord, we come to you uh, once again this morning with open hearts and open minds, wanting to hear from you. Hear your words, hear your encouragement. Lord, we acknowledge that we are all um, at different places. Help me, uh, Lord, to face my uncertainties about your love. Help me to get stronger in my understanding of the gospel. Uh, help me to live ready. Help me, Lord, to finish my business, to know what you've called me to do. Help us all to know what you've called us to do and with greater courage to begin doing it. Help me, Lord, help us to repair relationships, to grow deeper and and to, and to seek uh, forgiveness and to be forgiven and to forgive where we need to while we have the opportunity. And Help us to say what we need to say. Help me to say what I need to say to friends, loved ones to people in my life that I perhaps haven't said uh before we love you we thank you and i ask for your 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 hand on our life your blessing on our church help us to be wise and live ready in jesus name amen